Stopping advanced threats requires knowing exactly what you're up against. ExtraHop Reveal X is the only solution that shows you not just where intruders are going, but where they've been. 90-day look-back and complete network visibility across the data center, cloud, and device edge help security teams respond 84% faster with ExtraHop Reveal X network detection and response. Explore the interactive demo at securityweekly.com forward slash ExtraHop. DeepWatch provides innovative managed security services that empower organizations to be more resilient against today's evolving cyber threats. DeepWatch offers game-changing capabilities in managed detection and response, managed endpoint detection and response, and vulnerability management. All delivered through a unique squad model, a dedicated group of security experts that works directly with each client. From managed security operations to threat hunting to continuous measurement of security readiness, DeepWatch is advancing the service of managed security. Measure your SecOps maturity for free by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash DeepWatch. Welcome back to Business Security Weekly. I am your host, Matt Alderman, joined by Paul Asadorian and Jason Albuquerque. Do you have a specific guest or topic that you want us to cover on one of the shows? Submit your suggestions for guests by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash guests and completing the form. We review suggestions monthly and we'll reach out to you once reviewed. Also, learn how to conquer cloud complexity in our first webcast of 2021, this Thursday, January 28th at 11 a.m. Eastern. Next Thursday, February 4th at 11 Eastern. Uh, in our first technical training of 2021, you'll learn how to manage insider threats in the work from anywhere world. Register at securityweekly.com forward slash webcast. If you missed any of our 2020 webcasts or technical trainings, they are available at securityweekly.com forward slash on demand. Gentlemen, into the articles. Uh, this first article I pulled up, I thought was a, was interesting, right? The World Economic Forum produced uh, a report, updated their report on the, the biggest global threats uh, that are out there, uh, global risks. And cybersecurity failure is fourth on the list. It's the top technological global risk uh, based on, on, on this work. I, I thought this was a really interesting uh, perspective because when we think about economic impact and we think about all the things that are going on with the pandemic and everything else, Cybersecurity doesn't usually come top of mind to most organizations, but it it's there now. Well, we always say it should. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> at I mean, the end don't of the forget. day, we're always saying that it should. And 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 hey, thank thank God it finally made a big list as a, as a global risk, right? I mean, it, I, I love the fact that it's stated as a clear and present danger. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, cybercrime is what the third or fourth largest economy in the world these days. Sure. Wasn't that a Harrison Ford movie? Anyway. <laughs> but don't forget, I mean, in the past 20 years, which is not that long of a time span, we've gone from, hey, we could like sell products online and stuff to yep. like basically everyone selling products online and, and yep. a lot of businesses relying on the internet for way more things than we did 20 years ago. So, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that it's creeping up uh, on the list. Of course. And I mean, I, and cybersecurity as a, as a technology domain is super young. Mm. I mean, think think about it, right? What, what was it in the in the early to mid '90s? Was the first organizational CISO? We're yeah. very young. Yeah, very young as an industry. But I just, you know, when you look at the top three, right? You've got infectious diseases. We know what's going on with COVID. So, so I mean, yeah, uh, livelihood crisis, and and this is you know poverty and some of the other uh, stuff that's out there. Extreme weather events, right? 
And then cybersecurity. I mean, there is a bit of a drop off from the first three to this one, but it's it it just it really highlighted to me that we're in this environment now where we're starting to see that cybersecurity and the the risk that it poses to organizations is, is moving up the chain, and it's something we have to take seriously. We all love it because we've been doing this for twenty yeah. plus years, and and we you know we've been passionate about trying to educate the broader community on these issues. But it's glad to I love when it shows up in other um, publications like yeah, this. And, and and now I hope I hope it's a scenario where the global community does something with this information because that's that's the key right now. What do we do with it? Right. Do we keep it a priority? Right. Do do we make progress in some of these areas, right? Which which I think is important. We'll talk about some other progress later in, in some of the other articles that I brought in here too. Uh, the second article is the most pressing concerns facing CISOs today. Now, this is very targeted at supply chain risk. Um, and and I the reason I brought this article in was the previous conversation we just had with Extra Hop, right? Supply chain. The the attack vector for Sunburst. Look, this is these are really really nasty attacks, and we've been talking about this for a number of years on Application Security Weekly. Right, this is one of the things we've been highlighting for years. That how do you effectively understand your software supply chain in this very fast paced DevOps environment with a mm-hmm. lot of open source components? How do you address it? And this article gets into some of the discussions, but to me, it's more about highlighting the risks associated with supply chain and, and making this front of mind for organizations that are building software. Oh, 100%. And, and you know, it, the three items that they bring up are are uh, critical to, to, to making sure we do that. It's not everything, but but they are critical to the success, right? I mean, we, we just talked about it on the last segment, the cultural side. You know, I mean... CISOs are in a hard place where they can't be introducing friction to, to the business, right? And, and if they do, they have to be having the right conversations as to why. And so that way, you know, the leadership, ownership, board of directors can make good decisions on, on risk management. So, you know, it's, it, it, it's an art to be able to influence the culture of an organization to take security seriously and, and really have it top of mind and front and center of, of everything you're doing. I wonder yeah, if, I, if the, this consolidation is going to happen in, on the vendor side. Um, for example, we had conversations like, which technology would we use to solve this problem? And for different reasons, I may lean towards the Microsoft platform because I'm like, well, you know, we have it. And if we need to add some product that we don't have from Microsoft, the cost is nominal. If sometimes it's included, we just need to activate it. Other times the cost is, is nominal and that delves into Microsoft licensing. Jason, you can enlighten us on that later. But um, so like, you know, we already trust Microsoft to run our operating systems They're already in the supply chain. So if we don't have to go to another vendor and trust their supply chain, we can trust Microsoft. And I'm not saying the strategy is perfect, but do you reduce your attack surface by consolidating down in more larger vendors that have solution, solutions rather than going to a lot of other third parties to piece all these things together. There's a lot of good business reasons to do that. There's also a lot yeah. of bad business reasons because I find oftentimes when you start glomming onto, you know, already exist, like Microsoft makes a pretty good operating system, but then you start glomming on all the other stuff. And yeah, you get the benefit of consolidation, maybe some security, but oftentimes the features don't match, you know, your requirements necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, you, you have to do the due diligence around you know, the risk versus reward or, or, you know, as one of my colleagues likes to say, you know, is the squeeze worth the juice? 
of consolidating that down right on, onto what platform and and you know we as as leaders and 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 you know some of the technical leaders within your team have to sit back and say is having a connected ecosystem um, going to give us a better outcome mm. than having some siloed maybe best of breed products and and i think it's it, it's really a case by case basis that you have to analyze that because in some instances it may be worthwhile having a best of breed siloed product but in other instances it may be better going with the ecosystem approach to get better context right. yeah i think that was a decision for a lot of folks that might be an older decision but we're going to use solar winds because it gives mm-hmm. us those features that meet our requirements to allow us to uh, get more value out of this product right. you know for right. monitoring that microsoft as case in point, maybe doesn't provide. Cisco is the same way, right? Cisco yeah. Works was the most ironically named product ever, right? So you obviously go find, Chase, I know you've lived through this, right? You go find other solutions because basically it didn't really work all that great, right? <laughs> it, it, I mean, yeah. I mean, again, it's it, it depends on the application that you're, you're putting it in, right? Mm. Um, you know, just because it's part of a, a larger ecosystem, with a great reputation in some areas doesn't necessarily mean it's the right fit in others. Yep. Yeah, agreed. And I think you're going to see some very interesting consolidation and integration of different solutions. We've seen aspects of it in the in the DevOps pipelines with, with companies like GitLab integrating mm. in different scanning and security capabilities into the CICD pipeline. And I think the, the point here is, those integrated solutions, I think, provide some value as you're going through. The question is, is there enough capabilities in, in some of these platforms to cover all the potential right. attack vectors that these types of attacks um, could, could come from? And I think that's a challenge still. Yeah, agreed. Uh, speaking of, if it's not working, how to... Uh, Reboot a broken or outdated security strategy. I asked this a little bit in the last segment, which is, you know, like lessons learned. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. We see an attack, we get the indicators, we look back. And and I asked Matt specifically about some of those lessons learned because, you know, to me, I think some organizations might have a slightly outdated or broken security strategy. Now what? How how do you fix it if, if you just got breached through the solar winds attack for example what are the changes you need to do how do you reposition your entire security strategy across the board so this this article kind of gets into the yeah. identification but also some of that maybe that new alignment that needs to sure, be thought about sure. I, you know i i like this article because it gives you some things to take a look at to kind of give you an indicator of of whether you're you're relevant or not right with, with your security strategy and and you know one of the things i really picked up on is if, if you can't go to your colleagues or other folks in the business who are not technical and they can't articulate, um, you know, uh, at least the mission of the security team and how it aligns to the business, you, you may not be, you know, in, embedded in those business units and, and have a relevant strategy for those teams. I mean, you know, one of the things I try to make sure I do is, is connect with every single business unit leader in my organization and and I ask my you know my folks to do the same at their level, and and really constantly cheerlead for the security team and and evangelize for how we align to their particular mission, whether it's the finance department, the services team, the PMO, uh, HR. We're constantly talking about how we align with their business unit, how we align with what they're trying to achieve, and how we align with the business goals of the organization. You know, and if if 
if you're not having those conversations and, and your colleagues aren't understanding that, I think you have some work to do. Yeah. And, and we've talked about it multiple times on the show about that alignment with risk in the business, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, I remember in my early consulting days, some of the, the, the security policies that existed, they were just like unrealistic. Like sure. no one would ever implement this because it was like, it would be impossible. Right. Yeah. But then we went down this path of, you know, starting to implement certain things. And, and when do you reevaluate? Like, is my antivirus investment really worth it or not? Is my firewall investment really worth it or not? How do you make those hard decisions about moving away from certain strategies that worked, you know, five, 10, maybe even 15 sure. years ago versus the, the threat vectors that we're now under? And, and how do you effectively make those changes? I, I think it's hard for CISOs sometimes. Oh, to, it's, to it's very hard, shifts. right? And I mean, uh, you know, luckily for me, you know, I, I have at least relationships with some of the best technology vendors in the world simply because of what we do for a business, right? Um, and, and I would say to CISOs that, you know, that don't have that level of connection into, into the, you know, the, the, the technology manufacturers to kind of see what's bleeding edge, get good partnerships, right? Um, you know, get connected to, to, to other CISOs uh, across either your industry or other industries. You know, that's where you can really start getting some information about, um, you know, some of the cutting edge technologies that are out there in, 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 in methodologies that are out there as well. Right. Because you can't do it in a silo. We can't do it alone. Um, you know, I'm privileged enough to be able to talk to, to folks at a lot of the leading manufacturers around their security programs, their new technologies, their new methodologies, you know, it, it's really creating that, um, that ecosystem of, uh, intelligence that you can share with other colleagues. Yeah, I, I, think I think that's where things like the collaboration forums and some of that really really benefits the ability to network with your peers and really learn what your peers are doing. And, and I think there's a lot of things we use to evaluate whether or not we want to make a move or make a different investment. You know, the first for a business is cost savings, right? Like, you got a pretty good chance if you can show some type of cost, mm-hmm. whether that's cost savings in resources and or the bottom line, both is great. And I think the other huge driver, and Jason, one thing you talk about a lot is pressure from your clients and partners mm-hmm. that you need to have this level of security if we're yeah. going to do business. Okay, so we yep. need to maybe make a change, make some improvements. By the way, we make this improvement, not only do we meet the requirements of the business and our customers and partners, but we can save a little money more along oh, the way absolutely. and be more efficient. Absolutely. Like that, I think, are those the two like basic building blocks to getting improvements done in your security strategy? Yeah, I mean, I mean, n- number one, you need to know what direction you're going in, right? Yeah. So uh, you need to know what exactly you want those improvements to be. And then secondly, you need to be able to make the business case for it. And, and the business case can be multiple things. The business case can be, I'm going to look for better technologies to make this organization's security posture better. And hey, by the way, I've done my due diligence and I'm bringing my A game to the table. I'm able to save this organization X amount of money. Or like you just said, in, in, in some instances, um, you know, we come, we come to, the, to the leadership team or the CFO and say, we need to be making this investment in technologies because our customers will no longer want to do business with right. us because we're not, um, we, we don't have this level of, of diligence in our program. For example, CMMC is coming down the pipeline, right? So, so DOD contractors 
they're really going to be, they're already starting to be hot and heavy on their third party vendors, right? And you have to have certain mm. programmatic things in play to be able to become CMMC compliant, right? And, and as a third party vendor, uh, you know, you, you have to go down that path and, and to be able to say to the CFO, we need X, Y, and Z in our program. Otherwise, we're going to have these 10 clients leave us and those 10 clients are worth $15 million a right. year. Mm -hmm. Yep. Alignment back to the business. That's it. Jason, you always keep it real. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's what it's all about. Honestly, at the, at the end of the day, um, yeah. you, you have to be able to have that business conversation and business conversation is about revenue. Business conversation is about operational savings and operational efficiencies, right? I mean, it's about, um, you know, adhering to your customer's requirements, so that's, uh, yeah, we have to be speaking the language of business. Agreed. And how do you maintain your cool when you're under such stress? <laughs> Never let myself get hijacked. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so this, this article actually gets in, it's funny because, um, you know, uh, I, I had a leader of mine some, some, some time ago who was really, uh, you know, really, really focused on studying leadership. And, you know, I, I thank God every day that, he, he was, he's a mentor of mine. And, and, you know, one of the things that he would always talk about, um, is the reptilian brain, right. And the reptilian brain, when you get into that fight or flight mode and what can happen to your body. And, and, and we called it getting hijacked. And we used to talk about not getting hijacked in stressful situations. And, and some of these methods are things we talked about, right? Because, mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a physiological thing that's happening to your body. You're getting stressed and it's happening to you. And it's, how do you control that? Yeah. They call it self-regulation in this article mm -hmm. and we'll kind of walk you through the five different steps of, of understanding what's going on, getting, building some awareness around it, and then how to cope with it. Because yeah. to, to your point, we, we, as, um, uh, animals, you know, have certain like instinctive, mm -hmm. uh, responses and, and yeah. how do you control those so that you can engage and work with your peers or, uh, with other folks when this is actually happening. And I thought it was a really good way to think about it. Cause you know, I think about like the, my daily job, like, it's just like, okay, I got to create all this stuff. And then you're dealing with all these executives and, sure. you know, people are stressed out about, you know, sales revenue and forecasting. And oh, by the way, the sales team needs all this additional information to make them mm -hmm. successful. Creates a high stress situation, right? Course, you're like, yeah, yeah let's yeah, let's one hundred percent. And then and then you throw on aspects of, all right, you know, you you have this daily stress. Now I want you to go speak for an hour at the sales kickoff meeting, right? And and you know, have have a level of public speaking because I'll tell you, this this is kind of where it started for us when we when when the, the the mentor I talked to you about, um, you know, was talking about the the fight or flight. It was about speaking in public, public speaking, right? Getting up on stage and and not getting hijacked when you're getting to, you know, getting ready to 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 publicly speak in front of a lot of people. Um, but it can happen anywhere. Right. And it can be a combination of stresses that hit you that all of a sudden you get into that, that, that fight or flight mode. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I just, I just grabbed the headline, right? Data privacy laws coming, big tech yeah. privacy officers say, and, and all I can say is finally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, all indications are, are, are showing that it's, it's going to come. I mean, um, you know, 
President Biden's already said cybersecurity is going to be a focus. So great. That's awesome. Um, you know, the vice president it, it comes from California where, you know, the Privacy Act is, is you know, a year or so old. And, uh, you know, I, I, I see it coming. I, I see it coming. I mean, look, look at the, the, the first article we talked about. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, thank God. Maybe it'll it'll uh, unify a lot of disparate state privacy laws, I'm hoping. Uh, so it doesn't make things so complicated because, you know, simplicity across the entire country would be great. So that way we yep. have one structured way of managing all this. Yeah. And I think for CISOs, I think what's important here is that having a federal law would, I think, standardize things across the board so you could address it versus like the mm -hmm. breach notification laws that were yeah. state by state by state. Right. I mean, that put a lot yep. of. Yeah. Put a lot of pressure on people to be able to comply with the breach notification law. If yep. we have a federal privacy law, I think it streamlines. Hey, this is how we have to deal with data privacy. And it puts 100%. something in place that we can be consistent. Yeah. About. Well, one I, set I, of rules I appreciate, instead of 50. I appreciate your optimism, right? But there's, I mean, a lot remains to be seen. And I think that the, one of my fears is that the focus right now is on the big five tech companies here in the U.S. Hmm? But not every company is the big five tech companies. And it sounds like a lot of the focus is on, if you even just look at privacy, what regulation should the big five, because they're the biggest problem, right? But what does that mean for all the rest of the companies that do business in the US? You saw some of this with GDPR. And I think that, I don't know if it evolved or if it was written that way the first time. I believe that there was some evolution of it where different sized companies with different amounts of resources, don't forget. I mean, the big five have a lot of resources to deal with mm -hmm. the compliance. Not all of us have those, but you're, you're treated slightly differently. There's kind of like a tiered approach, and I hope that we adopt the same type of model here in the U.S. I agree. We need some simplification because leaving yeah. some of these decisions to states, I think the previous administration was really big on leaving all the decisions to states, and what you yeah. end up with is a whole bunch of different things to deal with yeah. rather than one thing. That can be a positive thing, but that one thing has to take into account the way that p different businesses are. We're not all Amazon and Facebook yep, and yep. Google. No, I 100% I right. agree. I think I think what kind of tips my hat toward this being a positive thing is no action is still an action, and we couldn't deal with no action anymore. Mm. So for me to see some action happening and knowing that, uh, you know, at least if they do it right, it will be a journey, right? We're going to go through this as a journey. I, I'm happy to see action. Yeah, but I think the problem is we don't know what those actions are. No, 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 we right? don't. Because we, <laughs> we talk about we, section we two. We and, 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 and my hope is that industry is involved. Yeah, yeah. Right? Industry needs to be involved. And in, in, in shame on our politicians if they don't allow industry to be involved because it'll just be a big hot mess. Mm -hmm. The debates I've heard about section 230 are, are all like, we need change. No one seems to be able to put their finger on quite what that change might be. Right. And right. that that isn't necessarily a privacy thing, but also technology regulations that yeah. could speak to thing. I mean, a lot of the compl you know, compliance <laughs> falls largely under security. Right. So mm -hmm. now if we have to be compliant about what people say across our platforms, which is what Section 230 says and who's responsible for that, you know, that could be an also an interesting conversation. I am happy that at least we're starting to have these conversations, but how it ultimately ends up written in a law uh, that remains to be seen. Yeah, yeah, it, it yeah. matters, of course. Yeah, industry needs to be involved for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, Jason, last article. I, I was so honored to see. <laughs> oh, this, pop the, up you, on the, you brought on, this, on the this chump. You brought this chump to the 
to the scene here. No, Accomplished author. No, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because it's something we've talked about. And I don't think we've talked about for, for a little while. Um, it's been a while since we talked about, you know, education and, and getting folks into the workforce. And it's something that I'm extremely passionate about. And, and you know, before the segment, I had said it, it, it's great. You know, I had I had written this article back for, for CISO Mag probably about um, March of last year or, or, or something like that. And, you know, it got published in July and they just republished it again. So, so very cool. Um, but for me, it's, it's, you know, something we've talked about before we, we need to rethink, uh, you know, how, how we're bringing folks into the workforce, how we're educating, um, you know, our students and, and, and really how we're testing aptitude at a very young level. Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit uh, on a diversity panel we did on Enterprise Security Weekly. Mm. You know, by the sixth grade, most people have already ruled something like cybersecurity out as sure. as a discipline, right? So how do we how yeah. do we you know educate at an earlier age uh, some of the aptitudes and in, in some yep. of the direction there? Uh, you know, my son was accepted at Embry Riddle down at, at Prescott, and and they have. A, a huge uh, cyber program down there, which I was very encouraged about. They brought uh, one of the former uh, directors from the National Intelligence to to drive that program. Mm -hmm. uh, I've even looked at potentially trying to to help do some teaching in their worldwide platform. There's no open positions, but I was like, I would love yeah. to try to give back. Into and see, that that's that that was one of the first things in my article: build alliances, right? Build alliances with organizations who want to start pushing the cybersecurity interest out there, right? Um, you know, we do it here in Rhode Island. I'm on the board of directors of, of a consortium called Tech Collective. Uh, you know, I, I chair their cybersecurity committee. And, and, you know, our mission is to go out there and really become that hub for the entire state of Rhode Island. So connecting university, connecting uh, you know, our, our, our private sector folks, connecting our public sector folks, really bringing everybody together, ultimately with a mission of, uh, of educate, helping educate students um, and, and really even taking folks who want to get into cybersecurity, who, you know, may have come from another, uh, another type of job in the past and, and they really want to shift careers and getting, get into cybersecurity. So, yeah, I mean, building those alliances and having these consortiums of, of, of folks getting together for the greater good is one of the things we really need to be doing more of. I think I, I like the apprenticeship model, and we've talked yep. about that in the past. I think that's very important. Also, I like the model in healthcare because I think there's a lot of parallels between the two industries because, mm -hmm. you know, when you talk to someone who has aspirations to go into healthcare, you don't typically hear, well, I'm in a, a healthcare program. That no, you hear like I'm studying to be an RN. I'm studying to be yes. an imaging technician of some discipline, mm -hmm. or I'm studying to be a doctor. Those are I and I respect all of those professions, right? But they don't say like, "Hey, I'm going to get a degree in healthcare," right? But in cybersecurity, right. you say, "Oh, I'm going to get a degree in cybersecurity." It's like, well, well hold on, wait a minute. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> you, you can be a social engineer. You can be a CISO. Yep. You can be in compliance. You can be an engineer yep. on many different levels. And so, like, we almost need to say a similar structure, right? You literally just nailed my the the, the number two item that I had in here: overhaul cyber yes. education approaches. It can't just be this high level theory, right? And that's what we're doing in cyber these days, yeah. right? High level across the board theory. We need to rethink that, right? Mm -hmm. we, we really, really do. And I think, I think we, need to, we need to overhaul it in different aspects as well, because there's certain segments of IT 
that I truly believe in, in, in cybersecurity, I think maybe one, right? As long as, you know, you can get into a program where you can get the basic IT skills and then, and then migrate on that you don't necessarily have to go get a four-year degree for. Mm, There's agreed. so many folks that I know who don't have four-year degrees and they are rock stars. Mm -hmm. So where's our vocational program for those kids who aren't meant for college? Completely agree. Right. And to your point, Paul, we have the same thing in the healthcare side. You don't have to be a four-year degree RN. You could be an LPN. Yeah, you could be yeah, an MA, a medical you're assistant. You're absolutely right. right. Yep. There's varying levels to bring people in to fill the skills needed yep. in healthcare. The same thing yep. exists in cybersecurity. Not everybody needs absolutely. a four-year bachelor's degree. One, 100%. And then, you know, you just talked about it, Paul, the apprenticeship model, you know, it's amazing how much diversity you get brought into a program when you open up an apprenticeship model, because what it, what it does, is it actually, it, it opens up the tent for people to come in and say, you want to know what I may have not ever, um, dabbled in this, uh, you know, in this, in this place, whether it's technology or cybersecurity, but I'm very interested. How do I get involved? Having apprenticeship programs can help solve that. You know, we've done it in our organization. I mean, I want you to think about this. We have business analysts who have become top engineers, mm. right? Business analysts who 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 went to school for business, understood technology, but were not practitioners, right? Not not practitioners in technology, and then through an apprenticeship program, learned the technology, brought those business skills into that workplace, and now they're rock stars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing when we rethink it. Um, I, I, it was a great article, Jason. So I, I had to bring it in. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Gentlemen, as always, it was a pleasure. Thank you for joining me. Thank you everyone for watching and listening. And we'll see you next week on Business Security Weekly.